we see it on the news, we hear it in the airwaves. We live in an age that denies authority. Protesters and rioters taunt police officers whose authority they reject. People reject the authority of creation. Men and women are considered by many to have no differences. Yet even their skeletal structures are different. But today people want to define what they are. So you hear reports about whites defining as blacks or Native Americans. That they are not is obvious, but that does not matter. People can define themselves in whatever way they want and everyone else must honor their definition. A teacher that I read about is now embroiled in a lawsuit to retain his teaching position. Why was he fired? Well, he was fired because he used the wrong pronoun in reference to one of his students. He referred to the student as her, but she self-identified as male. And he was unaware of her self-identification, but he was fired. Is all this rejection of authority? Or is that all there is? Well, not really. You see, rather, it is a submission to a different authority. We are all influenced by words. We listen to messages presented in words all day and every day. Messages inundate us from internet games and movies to news media and documentaries. All of us live in an information-saturated society. Largely because of the internet, the messages are for the most part mere sound bites. The news is not so much about the news, but about the commercials aired every minute or so. News information is reduced to 30-second reports. So have people rejected all authority? No. They just submitted to a different one. And the church is not above any of this. Evangelical churches have been abandoning the inerrancy of Scripture for a long time. It's not unusual to hear about churches in conservative denominations taking side with, sides with L, LGBT. How can they do this when the Scripture is so clear? They may approach the question at least from two angles. First, those parts of the Bible that condemn sexual sin are antiquated and culture-bound, so therefore they're not applicable. More often, the second angle is used, the angle of hermeneutics. All the texts opposing sexual deviance are reinterpreted to mean something else. So what is occurring in our world, in our country, and in the church comes about because people are listening to what someone else teaches, what someone says, what someone writes. So let me ask you a question. To whom do you listen? Who is the source of your authority? Writing to Timothy, Paul warns him about what is going to take place in the latter days. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 13, we read about that, that people would become lovers of self. They would be slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. 
They even have an appearance of godliness. Oh my goodness, they go to church. But they deny its power. So Paul is warning him. And in 3.14, Paul says to him that he is to be different, or he is different. He uses the words, but you. 3.13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but for you, but you. You are different, Timothy. So we might ask the question, why was Timothy different? What set him apart from those whom Paul described? Well, I want you to notice three details this morning, and we're going to go over this again next week, but not, not the same ideas, but we're going to look at this passage again. But I want you to notice three details this morning. First, Timothy witnessed the faith and sufferings of Paul, and also the faith of his mother and grandmother. So it was, Paul tells him, remember, you know, those whom, whom you listen to. Secondly, he says, notice that Timothy had a solid foundation in Scripture. And third, notice that Timothy's commitment to Scripture inferred a commitment to preaching. So first of all, consider this. Timothy witnessed the faith and sufferings of Paul. And not only that, he also witnessed the faith of his grandmother and his mother. He says, but you, or you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, and etc., Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Well, back in chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Remember them. Remember me. Remember my faith. Remember my sufferings. Timothy had the benefit of a godly mother, a godly grandmother, and a godly apostle. What Timothy learned, he learned from people. The people who loved him, the people who, were, who taught him the truth. They taught him the scripture. They taught him by example. In other words, the truth you learn, you don't learn by yourself. It doesn't just come into your head. You can make all the observations in the world that you want, but if somebody doesn't help you to sort through all of those observations, you're not going to come to the truth. 
we're not we're not just individuals we are part of a community yeah. and in the church that community includes mom and dad and grandma it includes the pastor it includes the people in the church who teach our young people who help and encourage one another by their example and by their words by their commitment to the scriptures that's who we learn from that's why Paul could say to Timothy but you You're not like all the rest. You're different. And to use a modern phrase that people don't like, you're privileged. (laughs) You're privileged because you have the Word of God. Not because your skin color is one tone or another, but because you have the Word of God and you understand it and it's been taught to you and it's been instilled in you and you've been encouraged to walk that way. Yes, you are privileged. We have the grace of God given to us. Even Bradley agrees with me, see? <laughs> so, Paul reminds Timothy when he says, but you, he says, remember what you learned from the people who've been in your life. That's important. Community is important. We do not live isolated lives. You know, they can make us wear a mask, they can help us meet on Zoom, but our community is what holds us together, and we need one another. But secondly, I want you to notice that Timothy had a solid foundation in Scripture. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what we need to remember is that Paul is writing to a young man whose father was a Greek, but his mother and his, I imagine his grandmother, were Jews. And so what did they do? What was their responsibility bringing up their child? Evidently his father didn't mind. There's no mention of his father, but there's, you know, evidently he's either not involved or he didn't care or maybe he even approved of it. Who knows? But the teaching of the Word of God goes that we are to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord doesn't begin in Ephesians. True, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, parents don't frustrate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or in the nurture and the instruction of the Lord. But that goes way back into the Old Testament. So if you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house house, and on your gates. Now I want you to notice something. The Jews did this kind of literalistically and in some ways that we would disagree with it and others you won't. But if you ever go over to Daniel Feinmark's house and he goes in the front door, he takes, he goes like this and he kisses and he rubs it on, what is it called, Daniel? Mezuzah. A what? A mezuzah. Mezuzah. What is the mezuzah, Daniel? Has a parchment, has a piece of the parchment of the law in there, and you celebrate the fact that you are living under the law of God as you go in and go out. There. Mm-hmm. Now, we could say that's a pretty literal understanding, but that's a tradition of Daniel's. Yeah. When you walk in his house and he goes through, he, before he goes in the door, he does that. And he rubs his hand on that. What's it called? Mezuzah. Mezuzah. I got a really long memory. Mezuzah. It's got a portion of the law in it. It's it's acknowledging the fact that yes, I I live under the law of God. Well, that's one thing we can do, I guess, if we want to do that. But I think the point that we need to take from this is that we are to teach these truths to our children. And I think that includes that when we teach them, we're teaching ourselves as well. We're listening to teaching. And it's to your children. And, and the word that Paul uses, that from childhood you'd have known these, he's talking about from the time Timothy was an infant until he was even like maybe five years old. From that time, in that time period, he was learning... The scriptures, from the time he was a little baby, from the time he's, from the time he's Bradley's age, and we might think, well, little babies can't understand the word of God. Really, well, maybe they can't. I'm not saying they can, but what we can do is we can read to them, and we can read the Bible stories to them, and maybe even act a part of them out so they can kind of visualize it, you know. But. Um, you can, we can teach children from the time they're, they're little. They don't, they don't have to be college graduates before we start teaching them. <laughs> but not only that, when you teach them, how else do you teach them? Well, you talk about them in your house. And what do you do there? Well, let's see. We talk about the situation in America today. How do we relate the situation in America today to the Word of God. We don't need to relate the Word of God to the situation today. The Word of God relates to everything. We just have to kind of sometimes think of, through about how that works. So we sit in our house and we, we talk about current events in light of what God says in His Word. So we learn there. That, I mean, I get, honestly, I have to say that I get really angry and frustrated I just read about a bill up in Canada that's horrible what it does to children. And I know that we're going in the same direction. And I say to myself, God, why? You say vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but I don't see any vengeance against these people. 
And I have to sit down and think through, you know, what does God, is God just not got his hands off of this thing? Or is he working in his providence to do something else? And then I'm reminded of Jonah. Jonah's mad because God didn't destroy Nineveh. Yeah. And God says to him, you know, look at there's more than, what, 100,000 souls there? Yeah. I, could be, I could show mercy to them. That's right. And I don't, sometimes I want God to be merciful. But then he's been merciful to me. And so, yes, I have to think through the scriptures and what's going on in this world because it's so disturbing. But God directs our attention. Well, that's you sit in the house and you, you think about that. Uh, and then you, when you um, walk by the way, when you lie down, when you stand up, when you rise. In other words, what is God telling us? He's telling us to circumscribe our lives with the Word of God. Have the Word of God in every part of your life. Don't, don't you know, be one person at work and another at home. I worked with a man one time who said, you know, when I'm at home, I'm just a holy person. It's just when I come here that I'm so, you know, so, uh, so mean. And I said, well, what, what, what does that mean? That you're home. You're home and you're a holy person, but you're not at work. That, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But that's the way many Christians think. Some Christians run their businesses like like they're they're thieves and they're and they cheat and they lie and they go to church on Sunday and they if they're confronted by their pastor and I knew a pastor that did this he confronted the man who owned the business and the man said that his business and church didn't have anything there was nothing related between them his business was his business his church life was his church life and he didn't bring them together that's not what the scripture says and so Timothy grew up in a world maybe in some ways worse than ours but he grew up and God saved his soul because he knew the scriptures and Paul tells him these scriptures are able to make a person wise unto salvation We read this morning in Psalm 119, what is it that cleanses a young man's way? By taking heed unto your word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why is the Scripture so important? Well, Paul tells us the Scripture is important because Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it is spoken by God. Do you want to know what God is saying to you? Read the scripture. Now I'm going to talk more about this next time. However, parents, all of us, need to read the scripture to our children. Those of us who don't have children need to read the scripture in our homes. We need to talk with them about their school. We need to talk with them. I have grandchildren. I need to talk with them about things. And I have to try to relate it to the scripture. I don't always succeed in that. But that's something that I need to do because I'm a grandparent. And all of us need this. God is speaking to us in His Word. He's not just speaking to Timothy. 
He's speaking to this church and He's speaking to us as individuals. And we need to listen to what He says. Because it is God-breathed. That's something that's being challenged today even from evangelical churches, sadly. Well, third, I want you to notice that Timothy's commitment to Scripture inferred a commitment to preaching because Paul says, or maybe Paul implies this to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in kingdom, preach the word. What is the word? Well, the word is the scriptures that Paul's just been talking about. And he wants him to preach that word, whether it's seasonable or not. In other words, it may not be too comfortable for some to listen. But that's not to affect Timothy. He is to preach in season and out of season. And what that means, I think, is defined by the words that are followed. To preach in season and out of season is to rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So to preach in season and out of season means that you assess what it is that needs to be said. And if rebuke is called for, then you rebuke. And where do you do the rebuking? In the preaching. Um, Maybe just exhortation, which can also mean something like uh, uh, comfort or consolation. The word has a broad meaning. Well, so there are other contexts. Use the scripture, preach the scripture when someone dies. Right? When someone dies. Last week I went to a funeral for um, Don... Eric's stepfather, Don, was reared by his aunt, Rita. And she and he took care of her the last four years of her life. And she passed away right about the time my mother did, and he had the funeral last, last week. Now, she was Roman Catholic, and so I was expecting a typical Roman Catholic type of a Mass. And I was quite pleasantly surprised. It wasn't the priest who did the uh, funeral service it was a deacon and he came all decked out in a white robe and the whatever that thing is called um, and he he uh, I mean he had to read it he was because he didn't know her so there wasn't a lot for him to say but he read he read and he explained things and he talked about he talked about Enoch walking with God and that God called him and I never heard this before and I'm not sure that I all necessarily agree with it but it was interesting how he applied it to Rita he said yeah Rita had been walking with God and God said to her it's time to come home now I thought that was kind of a quaint way to look at at uh, the story of Enoch and you know but the he just the things that he said were encouraging and they were from scripture you know it was and and the prayers were good um, uh, I couldn't pray all of them, but the ones I could pray, we I knew. And and uh, but he was a very loving and kind man, and he attempted, in his limited capacity, to take the word of God and apply it in a in a sense of exhortation, not 
in a, in a strong sense, but in the sense of comforting. To offer comfort because it was a season of death. And it was appreciated. Well, why does Paul insist so much that this happen? Well, verses, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, actually parallel chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Not exactly, but the concept are all there. Preach the word. Why? Because of the generation in which you live and in the generation which is going to follow, what you're going to find out is the people that you live with now who, are, who have a form of godliness but deny its power are the same kind of people you're going to have to face in the end for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having their ears uh, having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths but you always be, be sober minded endure suffering do the work of evangelists fulfill your ministry do you see how those two connect the beginning and the end the very center of that what I would call a sort of a chiasm is, is the scripture the word of God that's what's important here people need to hear it even when they don't want to hear it even when they hate it, we have to speak the truth. Because God in His mercy and in His grace may use that to turn someone from the direction in which they are going. So my purpose this morning has been just to lay a foundation. I want to say if you are not listening to the Scriptures, and I have a question for you, you're, you're listening to voices, I have a statement, then you're listening to other voices. To whose voices are you listening? Parents, immerse yourselves and your children in the Scriptures. Those of us having children who are out of the home still need to draw deeply from the well of Scripture. It is God-breathed. The Scripture teaches us what God wants us to know and how He wants us to live. And we must be readers and doers of the word. There are many voices vying for our attention today. Some are good. Many are not. Most, I believe, are voices designed to tickle our ears and give us what we want to hear. They entice us to fulfill our own passions. As Christians, we are different. You see, the world calls us to follow it in God-denying ways. But you, you are different. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. It's a light for our feet, a guide to our, in our path. We pray that we would be constantly, I should say, regularly in your word. We should be a people of the book in a true sense. Help us, therefore, to read the scripture to memorize the Scripture, to hide the Scripture in our heart, 
that we may not sin against you. Help us to be a church of the Word that proclaims the Word and that lives the Word. Help us as div- in, in a way that's different from the world around us. Help us to submit to Your authority and not the authority of the voices we hear so much today. Father, we ask You this, that You might be glorified through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you please turn to hymn number... I don't know. 152. 152. 152. 152.